Hello and welcome to Register, the podcast about architecture and landscape from Kingston University in London. In this episode, we are joined by Max and Chris of Divac Callan Architects, based here in London but doing work across Europe. We talk through architectural education, both as a student and a teacher, and also the work of their own practice, how they came to establish a working method together, and the use of representation as a means to tune their architecture in work process. I hope you enjoy the podcast. The interesting thing to kind of air is, you know, how we get here and how we've been educated and how we arrive here. And I'm just wondering, so you're a collaborative, and did that start in college or did that happen immediately afterwards? How did you guys meet and... We, uh, no, we didn't collaborate in college. We came from the AA, so we studied at the AA together. Um, but we were in the same units, so... We kind of talked about work, but we didn't directly collaborate. Uh, we used to go running together. <laughs> and then you, you talk and then, you know, there's no pressure in yeah. that sense. And you can, you can just say what you think and what you, what's, uh, what's in your mind. Yeah. And then you, you know, eventually you start to realize that there's a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it was it was natural, the way, and then when it, and then there's also luck. So there was an opportunity where we could work on something, because we've both been working together. No, we're working both in different practices. So one thing is to find someone to have a conversation with, but then the other one is to have some of the overall constellation where you say, okay, now we can actually make that step to to start to work together. And those so, first conversations. What were they like? I mean, I speak from my own experience because Colin and I met in a very similar setting, not in college, but working for somebody else. And those first conversations were in pubs and they were about the rejection of things that we didn't enjoy. So they were kind of the anger of youth. And so there was a lot of work for us to discover what we commonly believed by basically ruling out everything else. And I'm just wondering, was yours a more civilised discourse? I don't know, I think... For me, at least, coming from school, it was uh, being out working, uh, doing real architecture. It was mm. very different, no? And what we've been taught didn't really, uh, you couldn't translate it into working life. So somehow we, I didn't even know what I liked and didn't like. And uh, I don't know, I think our conversation was more, more through working, trying to find uh, what we actually believed was good architecture and not good architecture. Because, so, yeah, we did other things at the AA. It was some type of architecture, but it was something else. It wasn't buildings, ah, for instance. But a good education. Yeah. An education. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. yeah. It was great. It was amazing. But, uh, yeah, it was about other things. More like a method of thinking or uh, a way to approach a problem or solve it. Or well, it also depends if you, you're in a, let's say you're... you're studying in a course and there's those people that you know they do in their final two years briefs that they find interesting and they happen to find a way to continue that in work life Mm -hmm. and then there's some where it's just they enjoyed it but you know sometimes you enjoy something and you don't need to continue it to enjoy it no you uh, it's all a matter of what's in your your head and in interest in that in that new phase where you start to work. 
I think so there's both I could see both I think um, you want you have the ambition you you know you 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 leave school you had in my case I did the same course for two years so you're pretty much in in the topic mm -hmm. in, in a discourse and then you 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 do want to continue it but then I think that there's a natural phase of maybe one or two or three years where you you kind of you stand there on your own and you suddenly contextualize yourself with that with with what you learned and then you either it matches by mm. chance or it doesn't and then you just have to translate it in some way and it's kind of unpredictable I find it's it's interesting yeah because there is of course a kind of there's a debate of sorts within I suppose UK architectural education but it's everywhere to an extent mm. of the value of certain types of education and there is a certain kind of pragmatic viewpoint which is quite loudly expressed which would reject things which are seen as too exploratory around the margins or away from the subject of architecture and yeah. what's really interesting is that you guys are clearly deeply connected with the making of work and its careful calibration in the spatial essence so kind of a-theoretical in certain senses although there is a theoretical substrate to it but you're makers of spaces fundamentally. And where would you sit in that debate about education? I mean, how do you see that argument? I think Max has the answer. Max has been teaching quite a lot, so... I don't know, I was, I was so a friend asked me, so if you had a kid and you have, and maybe that uh, daughter or son wants to study architecture, I have to recommend the school, <laughs> what you do? And I find it so, I, f I don't think I have a clear answer. It, um, and I don't know, I've been teaching uh, at the A for six years in a diploma and in first year and just doing media studies. And it's hard to have like a one, this, I don't think there's a particular rule. You always bounce back and forth between extremes, mm -hmm. I think. So um, I don't know if. I would probably, my recommendation would be to, to study for a couple of years in one school and then to think of whether you, you want to change to another one, to just get exposed to another mm. tra trajectory. Um, it's hard because you, you, you don't want to, uh, you know, if the, the, the briefs you work on are, if they're you know, if they're too constrained, then you get a very streamlined output. If it's too open, you might end up with conversations and then the students might get too lost and then some other teachers say it's good if they get lost because failure not in like the negative way, but if you know if you fail doing something, that's where it's the most useful or the most um, it has the most impact. In, in, a, in a weird, in a weird, not, yeah, I'm not being, uh, how do you say, sarcastic, but, uh, um, you know, you, you, when something doesn't work, that's where you really get to the core of it. Yeah. If you, if you're a student, you do a presentation and it's a shit presentation, mm. you feel bad for a couple of days, but somehow you really get uh, something out of it eventually. Mm. I'm not saying that that's how education should work, but <clears throat> I think that. I don't think I could reduce it to a, a particular discourse. I mean, now when we're in the situation we are now, we, it's nice 
nice to talk. I mean, if you have a conversation about architecture and the um, how do you say, um, it's we enjoy it when it becomes specific. It doesn't have to become realistic, but if when you have the feeling you're hitting something, and it's a bit hard to define that. Mm. Um, and so, what would be the? I mean, just the most recent hard problem that you're talking about right now. Well, today, for instance, um, well, we were preparing for the lecture, and we were going to talk a bit about representation, and we also, and by looking at it, uh, the topic, we realized we don't really draw elevations in a way, which. A lot of, for instance, uh, schools, like certain schools, if you go to the CAS or you go here, I imagine there's a lot of elevations being drawn and uh, looking at proportions and uh, linking it to sort of uh, its the architectural history, how it sits, you know, in its context. And, and somehow uh, we don't do that. And I don't know why, if it's because uh, our education, if it's either because we're not interested in it, or the kind of, uh, or it's also some uh, we did just didn't do it in school either. Like we worked in plan, let's say if it was in school, if mm. any. Mm. But uh, there's a lack of interest there in the. I don't know why. I think that's everywhere. I. I mean, I really enjoyed my education also, but Carl and I do talk frequently about. We never drew an elevation in college. Mm. And it wasn't part of the discourse, because in some senses it was seen as, um, as a problem, actually. That somehow everything else, if done correctly, yeah. you would end up somewhere. And of course that's not true. Um, and uh, and I, I think what I'm interested in that is, of course, nobody teaching is doing so from an insincere perspective. That is a truth that works for a certain generation, and then there's another generation, and that truth would find that to be a myth. Um, and I'm kind of intrigued by that. I mean, I think that the, the problems we face are always very elemental ones like that. I mean, it's not that it's an issue, but the drawing of an elevation is a culture. It's a cultured act, mm -hmm. and it takes iteration, and it takes care. And yes, it does happen in the cast and in schools like this, but to some extent you could do it much further. I mean, I was talking with um, uh, an architect during the master class, and he was talking about Hans Kohlhoff, one week's lesson was to draw an elevation 32 times in perspective and in orthographic projection, which seems horrific until you think it through logically and the liberation of just having to do that for a week. Yeah. And is it that you actually reject the elevation because your elevations seem very carefully composed, quite beautifully proportioned, so you're finding some way to explore that work? Yeah. I don't think, yeah. So we look at it, but it's somehow, I don't know, it's not the main thing. Maybe, maybe we have to put it in another term. So it's not, a, it's not a decision that we take, that we only don't do elevations. It's just nothing. It, eventually, happens. you have to do it anyway. You know? <laughs> yeah, at some point, there's a point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you will have to draw a section and an elevation, but it's not, a, I don't think we're, you know, people design in, in drawing plans or in drawing perspectives or in doing rhino models and uh, we just don't design in elevations that's it there is always one and they will you know you end up with one you build a model and 
you look at it, you look at the height, width, and how do you place windows and those things. Maybe it's just it just comes in unconscious. Mm. So how do you design them? What's the process in the office? I think we. Um, I think it's through we design a lot through iterations. Mm. You know, we do quite often plans huh? as a starting point. Yeah, but uh... it's a good question because you know you look at the site, you get your brief. Then there's you know there are images flying in your head of things you've seen in the past weeks or days or mm -hmm. that you're maybe you think about or you you don't think about that can kind of influence you indirectly. Yeah. Well, there's a longing for something like mm -hmm. yeah. a material or a color or that you already have within you because it kind of builds up and then you apply it to something. Yeah, the architect's part of the site, right? You know, part of that context is yeah. the architect's head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we usually start by you know, drawing as many versions as we can. And it comes a little bit from uh, one of the, 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 the briefs we did with with some of the first year students where um, we gave them a site and they had to draw within one day they had to draw I think uh, six, 16 uh, plans of the same building or 16 options of, of, of a 10 by 10 meter footprint by hand on an A4 paper uh, with one pen no colors you know where you don't start to get into details and mm. uh, and it's quite really, well, you think first, mm, okay, I draw one, two, three, four. And then you think, oh, it's a bit silly, but then you draw more. And actually, you arrive at the 10th, 11th, 12th. And it's quite interesting because suddenly you don't, there's a point where you, you know, you have to go back and forth between thinking and not thinking. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's forced. Uh, because uh, you need to force, or you need to find some condition where you, uh, find something yeah, and I don't think that we work in a way that there's no um, you know there's no we don't start with a reference or rarely or with a particular thing or we, they all come together mm. no we, we start to once we've we start to establish somehow a conversation about a site about various options and then it's almost more comparative design you you look at them all next to each other and you start to think which what is interesting what works what doesn't work how divergent i mean so the, the two of you are doing this in isolation from one another or communally or depends on the day how busy yeah, chris is and something quite often i'm more like uh, quite intuitive and i just throw out some ideas yeah feelings yeah uh, and then max puts it to paper usually yeah or he goes and sits on his own and he kind of uh, some of that, those ideas get uh, kind of sweep into his drawing. That but, happens quite a lot. But there's a weird, uh, I mean, it's obviously everyone would design something, then there's always this moment, you, of course, you can do everything. Yeah. You know, and then and the more people you ask, the more Option. versions you get. <laughs> yeah. So you have to, I don't know, you have to put it all on the table and then f somehow find a way to zoom out of it and it's a bit like a puzzle and at some point you, um, I don't know, you create associations between maybe an idea of the site uh, or an addition for the site, a, f a form of how you could arrange, 
how do you can how can you organize or structure a building and maybe materiality and yeah sometimes yeah. it takes a day and sometimes it takes two months you know. so it's this there's the working up of artifact drawings or models and conversations around that and then the conversations are requesting for these moments where things cohere mm. is what you're saying or a logic or a logic yeah so it's like a strategic rationale, sort of, that you're you're searching for, or something where things resonate. In a way, we, I hope, yeah, I'll just go with the like that. Yeah, certain sort of you understand the logic of something, or you kind of can read it mm -hmm. from the project. Either in the plan, usually for me at least. It's interesting. Is it? Do you find we work in a not dissimilar way, and somehow that moment arises through the iterative process, even if the thing which was being accepted was the first thing drawn, mm. somehow there's a riffing required mm. in the musical sense to try and build up a resonance whereby something becomes explicit or kind mm. of yeah. accepted. And also there's a process of removing things as well, because you want to test if the, the actual the inner logic of the concept somehow survives. The more, if you keep removing things and then the concept is still there and it's strong, then it's kind of correct. No? That's pretty ruthless. I sometimes find it hard to kill ideas. Not kill them, but you, you have you test the idea by removing and see if it still survives so to kind of get to the essence of That's the, interesting. the project or the plan. Or the, uh, and at what point, I mean, you, these planometric drawings, the kind of frontal perspectival drawings, yeah. the models, the actual space is made. There's a an incredible atmospheric consistency to that. I mean, your work is fascinating precisely because the little that I do know of it is profound for precisely that reason, that yeah. representation is not uh, it's not something that you do for an external appearance or for uh, to cohere with a kind of broader fashion. But actually, it, and it's rare because there are others who seek to draw like you, but it's actually present in the work at the end. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering at what point, so at the moment you've been discussing strategies, but actually there's a lot of other things here in the work, details, nuances, attitudes to materiality. What, are they also discussed on these plan drawings? Is there kind of shorthand ways? Hmm. So we go back and, f you know, you, you, you can survive on a couple of days on the plan, but then you have to change, otherwise if you, you, don't you, you get bored and it also, you get exhausted. Yeah. So we, we always... Don't we just, uh, in terms of materiality or atmosphere, we, we usually jump straight into the collage and mm. we kind of, in the collage, we design the building. Yeah. So, it's kind of we yeah. draw in the collages, we, we mean that it, the column is this thin and it's red. Yeah. If it's uh, depicted like that in the collage. So you take them incredibly seriously. The yeah. collage is a device to tune the... It's the elevation. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. So it's a, you take it seriously as a piece of detailed yeah. work. Yeah. Um, and that kind of internal, I, I find this fascinating because I think there are architects in history, obviously, where their internal representational processes were celebrated in mid-20th century in particular. Yeah. But it does seem to be something that's incredibly required today also. Um, Possibly to do with just before this interview started, we talked about this need for a practice today to build the ground, the philosophic territory it occupies mm -hmm. for itself. Of course, there are prevailing cultures, but the plurality of the discourse 
is such that I think that there is a broader emphasis and this ability for a, a practice to be able to create its own culture does seem to require representational logic that is generative, more so than it did in, mm -hmm. in, in past times. Now maybe I'm just saying that because I'm the age I am. No, it's probably true. Mm -hmm. It's interesting though, because representational as a generative device in the way that you're describing that the collage is not a pretty image, the collage is a way of understanding the actual character of the space. Yeah, we, and, yeah and that's the topic we discussed today, because there's a danger of, like, where did you draw the line where the, the beauty of the image takes over the, like, the inherent quality of what you're trying to design, no? so it becomes more, suddenly it becomes more about the beauty of making a nice image, and mm. less about looking at what you're actually designing. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, obviously, sometimes you have to um, make a nice image to sell the project, but it's some, I don't know, it's difficult to find the balance or... Um, but you do that by internal critique, I suppose. Yeah. There was this, uh, a friend of mine, he, he mentioned uh, an interview or discussion bet between, I think, Gerhard Richter and an art critic. And they, um, and they were comparing two of He does his scratch paintings where he pulls and scratch. And he was comparing to, to find out which one is better. And, you know, it's, and it, I, I really like that comparison because how do you, you know, what makes that scratching better than that scratching? And, and you can only say this is a good scratching because you have another one next to it. Yeah. So you can compare because if you do one collage, uh, and it's there on its own, it's this one piece. But as soon as you have three, you suddenly start to, you either pay attention to a difference, mm -hmm. or there's always something that suddenly uh, initiates a conversation. And you have to just do several collages, several plans, and and I think that's so slowly start is a form of research or ex exploring design, and then it helps the conversation. Because if I would draw something and put it on Chris's desk, you know, what do you? It, it works. It could be one way, but he would probably draw a second one. Yeah. And then you have to, um, or not. And is there also this kind of? Um need to kind of oscillate and to test these things off our observations in reality. I mean, sometimes it's easiest to do the prettiest drawings of the most inhuman works of architecture. And obviously, it's littered with, I mean, and currently there are inhuman works of architecture, which thankfully are only drawn. Mm. And the, as you build then, are you kind of recognizing, so let's talk about the thinness of a column in a collage. Yeah. Are there thin columns that you have in your heads from your spatial history or from things you've examined which are kind of thinner than that actually? This one's, this one's 50 mil actually, we think we should be doing it. Or, or how are you calibrating those things? How precise are you being? Do you turn up and find that actually the column that you made 50 actually should have been 60? How does that Well, I don't know if you calibrate while well, through going from collage to building or you know designing it properly uh you you tend to calibrate but quite often you calibrate in terms of cost as well yeah uh that's one thing and then 
sometimes you could cheat sometimes in the collage and make it thinner than it's supposed to be but you kind of know it yourself it's a lie no? so you try not to do it if you know what I mean like uh, you try to be honest uh, but um, it was funny we and again it might be just us but there were things when we were starting out that we fought really really hard to, to achieve and when we lost them we thought the projects were dead yeah yeah and then we turned up on site and we found out the project wasn't about that at all. It was about this other thing, which had happened almost on the side as we were focusing on something else. Yeah. And it almost required it to happen on the side. And I'm really intrigued by that, about mm. when something is a revelation and when something requires precision. Yeah. Um, and the nature of experience versus the drawing. And that's kind of what I'm asking in a way. It's like, are you dialing realities? Yeah, it sounds like you are. I mean, that's what you're saying. You, you wouldn't allow the collage live. Yeah, or at least uh, I think we tried to design it uh, so it actually might be built in a way. Yeah. You should design it quite simple. And the, 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 the nice thing of the collage is that you, you see what you get. That's the, the idea, no? You, you, you draw something. Uh, uh, in Photoshop and um, you're assuming this is how it's going to be and then you try it out then, then there's a negotiation between I mean there's a, a desire we have to try to what is the simplest solution we could offer or form or what's what feels practical but on the end and then there's this one thing which is what, something that feels practical and then there's something if you go that maybe you read that more in the floor plan a certain practicality or a rigor or um, we don't know sometimes if we're just being a bit stubborn formally or if, if there's a if there, if there's actually an eff efficiency in uh, in the repetition or not but then and the image it's it it's instantly a composition yeah. so you're on a very in a funny a funny balance between the image is a fixed viewpoint and you really design for this for this particular viewpoint um, it's quite different if you work in a 3d model uh, in like a computer model you're you have less focus because you look at the overall you're mm -hmm. looking at you know 200 viewpoints at the same time in theory mm -hmm. um, so that's the kind of the, the relieving thing of the one collage where you have one view and it really it's really really specific for that particular view. Such a fragmentary it's a, it's a, yeah, kind of resolution. And then there's obviously the, maybe that what you were mentioning before is let's say the building is finished and we collaborate a lot with a French photographer Antoine and then he and we really trust him and he's some, someone who's um, we have a lot of conversation with and he always he always photographs the buildings we do luckily and it's interesting uh, to see what photo you know what views does he take yeah and he finds other things like you said he finds details that were not really meant to be or they they are there but they've never been on our uh, radar as as um, qualities eventually he does find things and then sometimes he ends up with uh, very similar views that correspond to the the views we collaged or initially and do you indoctrinate him in advance or do you just no we try not to try not to do that yeah 
Yeah. It's hard not to. <laughs> no, we have, a, we have a not dissimilar relationship with a very talented photographer, Alice. And it's a similar thing. It's, and it's actually funny. We, in our early work, we were getting things photographed and we were editing them back to the stuff that we understood. Yeah. And then five years later, we were going through the photographs again and we everything, pretty much everything that we'd rejected from the contact sheets was the stuff we were interested in now. Right. Mm. And uh, she was obviously seeing everything holistically and we were missing all of it because we just had our blinkers on. But it's also, I think that the way he photographs the, the spaces now, it, it definitely affects the way we design Mm-mm. It's like I mean, not for that one project, but for everything that comes after. It's also the conversation we have with him that you start to see more than you've seen before. So he's he's like a critic as well. So he's effectively a way for you to see it. Mm-hmm. And it's actually interesting today that the critic isn't as present yes. as as they were in the past. So yeah. basically, you see the photographer. As that eye, basically, a way to see things more dispassionately, as a way to learn from the work. Yeah, and also it's very honest, no? like uh, Antoine doesn't remove, he shoots everything, so he kind of, he doesn't clean up or arrange something or try to make it look pretty, he kind of just shoots. What's what he finds. Yeah, yeah. so it's a bit, uh, yeah, he's quite honest. And if we talk about these qualities then, so we've talked a lot about process, but the qualities, and it's interesting in the collage that you mentioned, the hypothetical collage, you mentioned a thin column. But, but thin things, thin walls, thin screens, thin columns, yeah. tensile structures juxtaposed with mass, proportions tuned, not iterated. There is something here, and I'm just curious, what's... Have you words for that? Mm. Yeah, I think we have intuition and feelings. Maybe Max has words. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure if I have a word for this. It comes down. I mean, in in it, it comes down a lot to materiality, I think, um, and proportion. I think. I mean, we did tables that have thin legs and we did tables that have chubby elephant legs so I don't think there's a um, we try not to find a, a formal rule that somehow um, and we hope that we somehow run a process where we hopefully each time we end up with a different result or with a hope we find we find different things maybe it's not maybe you're too <laughs> you know, you always come back to certain things, at least in phases. It's a character, then. It's it's also the some of the we we sh- we're showing five projects tonight, and uh, there's uh, four projects that actually have very similar ideas as the the core idea, and uh, they have to do with symmetry. Um, and then the other one has to do with, um, I mean, it's a very typical thing, an inside and an outside space, and the, re- the inverse of it. But um, I'm, I don't think that we're in, we're not trying to, uh, you know, um, reinvent uh, representation or architecture mm-hmm. or anything. We're just trying to, uh, how do you say, to work with, with everything, because in a way, there, everything is there. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of how you put it to how you put it together. But I don't know, this, 
these were these were two topics that came up, um, but it's somehow apparent in some of the projects that run through. And then, the, the, are you part of a critical community? You know, are there architects that you talk with critically, or that you speak with on these issues? Mm. Oh, the other, the other, sorry, yeah. the other topic is twins. Ah. And actually, if there's a lot of twins in our, it and there's something nice, you know, twin. It, it somehow has the notion of repetition, but it's not really because you don't know who's first, who's second. And by twins, it's, it's more than pairs. It's like a. It's two very very similar, but uh, uh, different enough so you see a difference. But somehow, it goes back to the comparison. Mm -hmm. You know, there's um, one atelier that has uh, the one under the arches. It has, um, uh, let's say, two modules, and they're both the same. They're always made of a small room and a big room, and they're mirrored in both ways. And you can run in a, in a circular manner through those rooms, and you always see the same space again, exactly in the same loop. Um, I don't know, it's something that is... it. We enjoy thinking about that kind of space because if you do it one, if you have one uh, module, it's so different than if you have two times the same one. Mm -hmm. If as soon as you have four, it's almost then it then it's clearly about the repetition. But if it's two, it's about either this one or the other one. Mm -hmm. You know, with um, um, there's no how do you say there's no majority. Yeah, we have another twin on the top today as well. The, the artist chat. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's one, two rooms exactly the same. They actually married as well. The one has a glass roof and the other one is open. But somehow I think we just enjoy looking at the. You can just add or remove one little thing, then the space is completely changed. No? So but you're using one to tune the other. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice thing if you look into the, if you look in the mirror. If you, you know, it is not only be, not, not because you see yourself, but you see another space that's on the other side. Mm -hmm. And if you look, you know, if we had a mirror here on the wall, and you look around like this, and if you look at this space through the mirror, it just looks different, right? it's the same. So somehow if you have two rooms, and they have, they're exactly the same, but they have two different orientations, suddenly it's a matter of, you, you, you recognize the difference in light, for example. Because one room has the window to the north, the other one to I mean, really, really basic ideas, but, you know. And this is what you, I mean, you use the term strangely familiar, and I think mm. that's part of that as well, and it's also yeah. your attitude to context in a way. Right. Not, the, not the twinning thing, yeah. but, but there's a drawing from context and then a differentiating from it, which is quite subtle in some mm. cases. Um, and. I was just, th th that's fascinating, and then I, I am interested in these conversations, I mean, <laughs> clearly you're, you know, you're doing work internationally, you're a European practice based in London. Before this started, we were talking about how you found it somehow easier to have critical conversations with others across borders, across countries. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, who is it that are part of this community, and how do those conversations happen, mm -hmm. casually? Yeah. Well, casually, I think uh, we have starting to get quite a few friends in France, for instance. Mm. 
I don't know why. Maybe it's because our work is a bit similar to them. There's a couple of young practices there. Antoine, the photographer, has you know he works with another practice in in Paris. Um, and there's a couple of those that we feel maybe a similarity to. I don't know. Uh, and I don't, I'm not sure also if we uh, uh, we're not. I'm not sure if we are British practice. I, I don't know how to <laughs> relate to England or London or UK. Like uh, I'm from Norway and Max is from Germany, and we do quite a lot of work abroad. So somehow. We're not only, we're kind of in between somehow. I don't know where we belong. Uh, so it's quite natural for us to also talk with people abroad, I think, or in different countries. It's interesting. So you both did your undergraduate degrees in your home countries and then arrived to the AA as master's students, or were you there right the way through from the start? I, I did what you just said. Yeah. I studied in Germany and then in, in London. And I was, yeah, from the beginning, I was there. You're hardcore. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the culture in Germany then, it's obviously much more building focused to your education or it was much more practical based? Well, the thing is, in my f I only did first year and second and third year. Yeah. Yeah. There's three. Uh, in the first year, uh, my teacher is, was an English teacher who used to teach in the AA, so that was a coincidence. So I'm not sure how much he represent he's, he's taught in Stuttgart mm. the academy. So I don't know how much he's rep he represents uh, a normal first year in a German architecture school. So I thought he was an in, like an exception. Um, but then the second and third year, um, I can only talk from my school because I don't have many links to other um, uh, schools in Germany. So I don't have a broad um, yes. overview. It is a bit more um, practice-oriented mm. in terms of, um, you know, your diploma can be... In most universities you can, you can decide if your diploma is uh, by design or by uh, technical studies, for example. Mm. Which, um, I know, at the AA wouldn't be... There's no choice. There's no question about that. So. And Norway, why why did you instantly reject all the all the Norwegian schools? Or uh, I don't know really. Just kind of. I had friends who one friend of mine went here to Kingston, mm. and somehow I, I think they kind of sparked my imagination. I tried to get in here. I didn't get in. <laughs> We take you back, <laughs> and then I yeah I did a foundation course in Norway, for a year, and then I yeah I just applied to the AA actually, mm. and uh, why I did it I don't know I just wanted to go abroad. Yeah. Um, well, it's, they have a great school in Oslo and also Bergen, so there's options. But yeah, there's a rich architectural culture there. Yeah. yeah. It's an it's an it's an interesting one. I mean. It's a slight regret. I mean, when you're from a small place like Ireland or Norway, small population-wise, there is a kind of hankering for the other, the yeah. kind of the yeah. London, yeah. in the belief that the discourse is richer. Of course, it's broader. It's that, but there's also it goes the other way as well. Where I feel uh, it's quite difficult for us to work in Norway, because somehow I think. They don't see it as an a possibility for us to from here work in Norway. Like it's we're kind of too far away somehow. Uh, 
they're a bit skeptical. They they impressed, but then skeptical at the same time. So it's a bit hard to get involved in like get jobs or get involved in the community. It's much easier for us in Holland or Germany or in Europe, let's say. Norway is kind of different. It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's it's on the border, kind of outside of Europe. You know, it's it's a different place. So you feel much more disconnected from it. It's funny, Ireland is almost exactly the opposite, which is that, oh, you can do some work here, but until you've done some work abroad, uh, yeah. we don't really take you seriously. Okay. Which is good, if not for the edges of you. But there's a healthy scepticism to everybody other than, other from the place. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's why all Draft and Don and Toomey are building all over the world. And of course, they've done beautiful buildings back home, but there is something about those opportunities external to the island, which is more meritocratic, yeah. perhaps, at the time. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting because this question about whether, whether one's practice as a nationality anymore is kind of moot, but we do operate in the territories where we operate, right, and we have our histories in space. And I'm just wondering, buildings which resonated with you as you moved through your education before you were practicing, even before you even were being taught, are there things which you hold on to touchstones, moments that kind of connected profoundly with you? Or not at all? Mm, I don't think for me, no. No. I think more, I have more like a, a, a longing or a sense of, uh, I don't know, like the natural things, like uh, nature or cabins or uh, I don't know fireplaces cozy atmospheres uh, I don't know the Norwegian kind of uh, romantic cottage or something like that it sounds like or, yes. or, 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 yeah, or an island you know living on an island or I don't know more related to landscape and nature I think yeah uh, but archetypal things yeah, like yeah, the fireplace yeah, outside yeah. the window yeah that sort of thing going yeah yeah and the culture that surrounds that. Yeah, I think more. And yourself? I'm not sure. I mean, there's obviously uh, all these memories you have from, from your, you know, from the past years. And when, like, the further they are back, the more, and if they sustain since then, obviously the stronger they are. But mm. those go back to, um, you know, not just, qualities of your family house or where I grew up like very basic stuff but I don't know it, it's more atmospheres rather than a specific archetype or a building type Definitely. or a particular um, architect um, I mean of course I like Mies van Noe he came he was born in my hometown <laughs> but it's not the reason why you know I knew it now it now but I don't think it would. I don't think that's the the one driver. It I, is a, I wouldn't be able to. There's a good line in Tim Collins, though, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot of. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's as we we're going to wrap things up. But uh, we're sitting here and out there. There's lots of students working on projects and with great endeavor and great earnestness, and. You know, it's a wonderful time. You know, I started work in this school when it was empty over the summer and it felt slightly melancholy and now it's all full of stuff happening. Mm. And if you had a piece of advice 
you know, you've, you're, you, you, you've educated yourselves, you've got, you've got that first project, you've found a way of working together, it takes patience, it takes time. If you had a piece of advice to students in terms of where they are now, these are at their, their master's one students, their first year master's students, two years to go to their thesis, could you, I mean it can be very simple. Advice for what? For life? Or for uh, after work? Or it can be really, really mundane. I mean I remember the first really, I mean there was lots of really lovely moments in my education but there was one where Kevin Kieran came in and taught us in third year and he sat down with his unit and he basically listed three buildings in the city, the casino, the long room and the Berkeley library and he said I assume you've all been in those buildings and nobody had. And he said that the only piece of advice I'm going to give to you is you can't talk to me about architecture until you've been in those buildings. And he took us all on the bus and we went to those three buildings and then, <laughs> then we'd have a conversation. And it was something that really impacted on me, as a, both as a teacher and as an architect, which is that there's nothing quite like making your own mind up about things directly in the space and then the value of a conversation informed by that, you know. Um, which would go against a lot of the kind of earnestness of book mm. learning and the burden of the canon and all of that kind of stuff. I think what one thing I think it's um, that you sometimes notice with when I talk to students or even to other architects is um, it uh, and I think it's it's not so easy it's just to look how do you look at things like um, uh, and if to look at spaces or photographs of spaces or um, or drawings and try to look to really look what you see mm. you know it's quite especially with photographs you see a photograph of a room of a living room and it's quite easy to look you know you see you understand as a living room but you kind of look you, you look through it you think you 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 think that you know what you see, but you actually, the students often, they they you know they're exposed to so many photographs, you know you flip through your mm. your accounts and it goes you know everyone has an image library in their computer and then, but uh, it's really try and look what do you see, where you have to, you know it's, it's it sounds a bit um, boring and old fashioned but. No, no, no. Uh, to be literal. Huh? To be, yeah, to really, to literally understand what do you see, it's brick wall and light switch. And to to understand what you see and not, uh, how do you say, rather than, um, it's simply recording what there is. And sometimes it's really helpful because yeah. you can pull qualities out of it. I mean, that's why you need the old days, you would go in the room and you sketch the search. Because the moment you draw it, it's, um, you obviously understand it. I'm not saying that you should do that, but I think if if um, yeah, if you're able to to really see what there is, it's, it's quite refreshing. Mm. And yourself, Chris? I think that's uh, <laughs> well said. <laughs> Listen, guys, it's been a pleasure having you, and I'm looking forward to your yeah. lecture. So uh, thank you very much, Max and Chris. Thank you for listening to this episode of Register. In our next episode, we are joined by Eva and Ricardo of Flores Prats Architects from Barcelona.
In the meantime, please remember to subscribe via iTunes or Acast and to leave your reviews, comments and feedback. Thank you very much.